Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim here with Hillary for another session of the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing today, Hillary? I am doing good. Finally recuperating from being traveling and being at the show this past weekend. That was a fun show. It was a fun show. Did your flight get delayed on the way back? Everybody else's did. You know, it didn't, surprisingly. Like, I made it on time. I had early arrivals. I looked out. Definitely weren't on Spirit Airlines. No. (laughs) (laughs) I went down to the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and had a fun couple of days working with the zebrafish group. And uh, there were people from Canada and from the UK for a zebrafish workshop. Zebrafish, in case you don't know it, listeners, are a huge medical model instead of rats and mice, which still use zebrafish and zebrafish systems are um, used by scientists, but you know, med- medical researchers all over the world. And it's, uh, they're always looking for culturists. If you're looking to get into a f- the field and do science and work at a university or even private companies, zebrafish culturists are definitely in demand. I did not realize that. I mean, I knew zebrafish were used in the medical industry, but I didn't realize there was such demand for it. It's exciting. Yeah, there's, there's big. I mean, some of these places, you know, a hundred thousand fish easily. And I know some uh, aquarists or people that used to work like at Absolutely Fish out in New Jersey. She's now, uh, I think, at UCLA in helping keep the zebrafish. Um, alive because the the medical researchers the phds don't know anything about that they need they need aquarists to help keep the fish alive and there's a whole protocol because uh, you're doing research you know the animals are being done or used for research so it's the, a lot of workshops and training and things go into this it's and um, it's a nice it's a nice career especially if you want to um, work with fish so Always good to keep in mind. Yep. And there's even a couple of zebrafish societies. So if you're interested, just type in uh, zebrafish careers or zebrafish culturist careers, and I'm sure um, you'll find something. All right. Well, should we get on with today's episode? Yes, let's get started. All right. So we're only going to have one episode this month for you. But it is a Q&A because you guys always send us such great questions and we like trying to be helpful and help you solve your problems. So I've compiled a list of questions. Let's see. You, you never see these questions beforehand, so. No, I don't have a clue what she's going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably seen them all through the info emails and Instagram and Facebook, but. Uh, I maybe. I don't know about Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Yeah, not sure about that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Number one, I am treating for brown algae on the sand and on the inside glass. I have a maxima clam and was wondering if it would be okay to leave it in the tank or should I remove it while treating the tank? Thanks. They don't say what they're treating the tank with? No. See, now we got to make assumptions. I know. Well, let's assume they're using Dr. Tim's products. Um, To be safe, I would 
probably not. I mean, Refresh is a great product, but there are isolated cases where it can harm shrimp and uh, snails and maybe a clam. And and usually it's when people overdose because people don't measure correctly. So probably stay away from using Refresh just to be really, really careful. Uh, Waste away is fine to use. As we always say, start with a small amount. Or um, if the problem is just inside glass is dirty, maybe go with the gels. I mean, we recommend using the liquid to clean things up and the gels to maintain. Um, but that's not a hard and fast rule at all. It all depends upon the issue you have. And the person didn't mention dinos or cyanos or green algae out of control, right? Just kind of fuzzy growth on the inside of the glass. Yep. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of waste away liquid or adding a gel would be perfect. And you'll see that should clean itself right up. Okay. Hopefully if that was your question that helped, if not, please send us an email or follow-up message, um, giving us a little bit more information. We can tailor our response to uh, your specific situation. All right, number two, I've seen many cases in freshwater aquariums when doing a water change to rinse biomedia with aquarium water and vacuum the substrate the same day. It results in ammonia spike and white water. You have said many times that the nitrifiers will not die so easily and will keep working as usual. According to your analysis, what causes this condition? How should it be solved? Okay, so, so two things are happening. When you start disturbing the substrate and cleaning things, especially uh, the substrate, you're releasing phosphate, which, which gets trapped down there. That phosphate is fuel for bacteria, which is what the white cloudiness is, but it's not the heterotrophs. I'm, I'm sorry, not strike that it's not the nitrifying bacteria it's the heterotrophic bacteria and what do the heterotrophic bacteria do is they mineralize or degrade organics so you and in that process they stir up or the, or they produce ammonia so let's because i flubbed a few things there let's review you're stirring up the substrate that releases phosphate. Phosphate can trigger the growth of heterotrophic bacteria. The heterotrophic bacteria are designed to break down or degrade organics. And in that process, they produce ammonia and the cycle just repeats and the bacteria can grow quite rapidly and basically you get a bacterial bloom, which is that white cloudiness in the water. So that explains where the ammonia is coming from and how you're getting that. Now, what would you do or, or how to prevent this? If you haven't cleaned your substrate in a while, then I recommend that you only clean a portion of it. If 
you're you can see the substrate you know along the glass and it's deep the inch and a half two or more inches deep and it's black the chances are really good that that's hydrogen sulfide down there and you want to be very careful about stirring all that up i don't recommend just stirring up all the substrate in the tank just for the sake of stirring it up because again you're especially if it's been a while you're going to release all this phosphate. It's going to cause a bacterial bloom, which is going to do a few things. One, produce ammonia because they're degrading organics. And two, that bacterial bloom, they're removing oxygen from the water. And you risk your fish suffering or even dying because of lack of oxygen. So, a portion at a time, maybe every other day you do a little bit more, but, but don't just stir up the whole tank. And especially if you're going to do this, have your siphon clean and remove the material, remove as much as of the organics as you can consider something of a water change to get rid of the phosphate that's in the water. And especially add extra aeration. If you see this bloom, if you see the fish at the surface, add extra aeration and get your skimmer going to try to remove as much of that bacteria bloom as you can. If you have a UV, turn that on. I cover everything, Hillary? I think so. Yep. I, I You know, it's something you talked about not doing it all at once. We've talked multiple times about how a lot of aquarium keeping is having patience and trying not to rush things. So this is just another example of being patient, taking it easy, one step at a time. Don't overdo it. You can always do a little bit more, but you can't take away. Right. And especially we see this now it's summertime, it's warm, people are traveling and they're going to come back in September and look at their tank and go, that's pretty dirty resist the urge to sit there and just, I'm going to stir up all my gravel. It has been stirred up for a few, few months. That is a recipe for a disaster right there. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but it'll happen. Yeah, always. Yeah. So. All right. Well, our third question is kind of along the same lines as that last one. It deals with substrate. I want to remove substrate from my freshwater aquarium. What would be a good method to go from a deep substrate to a shallow one? Well, again, I have to make some assumptions here. If what I would recommend, but again, I don't know what the size of the tank or anything is, is once you dive into this process, not, and I'm, I'm going to explain why, because I'm going to say finish it. If you're going to go from a deep one to a shallow one, you've, you, you either remove one section. And here, here's my hesitation. You just can't remove the top section. Say, say you're, you know, you're four inches and you say, remove the top two inches. Well, it's the bottom two inches that is the bad zone. That's the anaerobic or the agnoxic zone where everything is trapped. And so in this case, what I would recommend is using a siphon clean, a siphoning device where you're sucking the, the, the substrate out and remove 
all the substrate in a given section, all the way down to the glass, have lots of aeration going, and do this early in the day when you can monitor what's going on with the fish. But take a, take a quarter of the tank or some subsection of the tank and re, don't disturb any other part but the part you're working with and remove all the substrate. And if you get black clouds into the water, that's what you want to try to prevent. You want to try to suck that out. But the problem is if there's a lot of black clouds of material, that pretty much is an indicator that you're putting hydrogen sulfide or releasing hydrogen sulfide that was trapped down there into the water. And that's very soluble and can be very harmful for your, for your fish. And I, I, can I add, you're going to sure. smell that too. It's not just, some, oh, yeah. it's not just a visual thing. You will be able to smell that. Right. And if, and if you smell that, I would probably, uh, you, you, you're going to have to watch the fish or even remove them to another tank with different water because that hydrogen sulfide is going to permeate that aquarium water. And if there's a risk of this, what you probably would to be absolutely safe, you should take some of your aquarium water, move it into a Hillary type temporary aquarium, which is basically a bucket, right, Hillary? As, as you're yep. waiting to move a tray. I've got I've got a, a cooler and two large Rubbermaid totes right now. Right. So take your aquarium water from the surf, you know, from the column. Put it in a tote or you know, some temporary container. Add lots of aeration, some decoration so the fish can hide, and remove you know remove your fish out of your, out of the tank. And if you do that, then go to town and get all that substrate out of there. Clean it out, just fresh. Now you don't have to throw the substrate away. Have it into a can and then use some type of a strainer and rinse the substrate, and then you can put it back. But you're getting all that nasty stuff out of there, and then you can put back a shallow, shallow layer. And the chances are decent um, that you're still going to have nitrifiers in there. You know, you should have an ammonia nitrite kit to be, to be cautious, maybe some, definitely some one and only on hand a little bit. But if it's an older tank, it's been up for a while, it's probably best to move the you know, organisms out and just do the whole thing in one fell swoop. Yep. Better to be safe than sorry and take those precautions. Yeah. And the issue with, with hydrogen sulfide is once that starts getting released into the tank, it's so soluble that no amount of aeration is going to keep it from going into your into your fish and corals and it's highly toxic so you run the risk of stress or just outright killing the fish right then so uh bite the bullet and clean the whole remove the organisms and clean the tank rinse it rinse the substrate and then you can put some back if the substrate's really black and you can't clean it out very well and it really smells like rotten eggs then you're just going to have to throw it away and start with new substrate Yep. And might I add, if you are using a strainer, maybe go out and buy a dedicated strainer for your aquarium supplies. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> Williams and Sonoma, right? $400. <laughs> Crafted in Italy, hands on, definitely. And put on there, fish only. No soaps yep. and things like that. Yep, exactly. they're cheap. You can get them at you know, lots of stores, just plastic strainers. Yep. All right. Number four. Is it better for the nitrifiers to cycle with treated tap water and slowly change out the treated tap water during changes after the nitrifier population is large? Or would it be better to use RODI water and dose the alkalinity and other stuff manually? What do the bacteria prefer? If so, how much, if so, what stuff should I dose and how much or what levels should I dose to? Okay, first, do never try to cycle your aquarium with RODI water. You know, that, that's too pure and the bacteria won't live in it. But that said, if you're just adding alkalinity, that's not a complete water. That's just alkalinity is going to have some car, you know, carbonate and maybe some calcium in it, but that's not really it's, it's, uh, a complete water formula at all. So, and why mess with, it's much easier to just cycle with treated tap water unless there's, I'm assuming this is a freshwater tank. Um, this is another one another that we assumption. don't have a lot yeah. of info for. Because if, I mean, if, if it, let's assume it's a freshwater tank, just treat, just cycle with treated tap water. That's going to be the best. Now, if it's a saltwater or marine tank, you're going to be adding sea salt, which will have a complete formula in it. So I think it's a good assumption to make that this is person talking about fresh water. Um, and it doesn't, it's just too hard. It's too, too much work to try to come up with a formula. Unless you're going to, there's really some reason you can't use your tap water, but then you need to get some cichlid salts or something that's more of a complete freshwater salt versus um, just adding some alkalinity to the water. That makes sense, Hillary? Yeah, no, absolutely. When you said cichlid salts, I was about to say, like, yeah, like, you know, some of that salt that you can add to it that's not, you know, the marine salt. So. Yeah, cichlid salts, there's a couple of, um, we sell one, and it's more where it's, it's got calcium and magnesium with, you know, for hardness, buffering, uh, components some phosphate and some other uh, elements, but it doesn't have a lot of sodium because, well, obviously sodium is the primary cation and you know, positive charged anion in salt water. Um, but most freshwater fish don't live in salt water, which is why they're freshwater fish and they don't tolerate sodium. Um, some fish can like goldfish and Australian rainbows and live bears, but all your South American fish can't stand um, tetras, you know, or, or salt water at all. So. Oh. All right. Question number five. I'm going to set up this tank and I am nurturing my bacteria biome first and foremost through the life of my tank. So I'd like to know how long I should focus on the nitrifiers before I see the tank with coralline for my rocks. Nurturing your bacteria. I like it. Um, I knew you would like that one. Yes, nurturing. Uh, well, the nitrifiers, 
uh, what, you know, you know they're established when you we, by measuring ammonia nitrite. So once they're established, and that usually, if you follow our directions, is a, about a 10 to 12 day process, uh, then it's fine to start adding the live rock. Um, but nitrifiers are not a complete, you know, microbiome of an aquarium. They're just part of it. So um, you, you get them in, they're handling the ammonia and the nitrite, uh, then you can add the live rock. You could possibly even add the live rock sooner, but it all depends on how, if it's clean, if it doesn't have a lot of organics in it and things like that. So it's kind of a stepwise, do the nitrifiers, should take 10 days, add the live rock, and then uh, go from there. Okay. Now, I think this next question might be part of the that last one. At what point during a tank's life should I worry about adding the organic consuming bacteria? Well, we recommend not starting um, adding any type of you know heterotrophic or organic consuming bacteria until probably three to four weeks into the tank. Every tank's going to go through that diatom, diatom, not dinoflagellates, but the diatom stage. And adding bacteria, you know, like our waste away can help, but it doesn't prevent that. But you don't want to add the organic degrading bacteria too soon because they grow so much faster than the nitrifiers that they are going to remove the phosphate from the water, which will slow down the nitrifiers. They're going to compete for space with the nitrifiers that you don't want. So get the nitrifiers well-established and then no earlier than three weeks should you start adding some type of uh, you know, organic degrading bacteria like our waste away. Okie dokie. Moving on, question number seven. Do you have any tips on how to get my pH from the beginning to help the bacteria? Get my pH from the beginning? What was that? They're trying to get their pH up at the beginning, I assume at the beginning of a the cycle. They don't specify. Okay, so, well, so, so questions that are quite open these, these. Um, we're going to assume again, this is fresh water because if you have a decent saltwater mix, your pH should be up. If you're mixing saltwater and your pH is in at least 7.5 and in a brand new saltwater mix, it should be, you know, over eight, then I would say you need a better and a different saltwater mix. So assuming this is fresh water, you, you need to get the pH if your pH is low, and by that I mean seven or lower, then most likely your water is soft, meaning it doesn't have a lot of calcium or magnesium, and your water probably doesn't have much alkalinity or buffering capacity. So low pH, low hardness, low alkalinity, the nitrifiers hate that. And so the best way to increase that again 
is like with with our you know freshwater cichlid salts or something like that that will add buffering hardness up you know to the system and get the pH back up because you can add a, a base you know you you could add sodium hydroxide to the water to get the pH up but that's not going to do anything to the hardness and the alkalinity which you also need so you've got to get all aspects of the water quality in a better area for the bacteria. So that's a pH above 7.5 hardness. That's above, you know, at least a hundred calcium milligrams per liter as calcium carbonate and alkalinity, the same thing. Uh, You know, if you can get that up to over a hundred as calcium carbonate, this tank will cycle much, much faster. And if, now, if you're trying to do um, some type of South American discus or angelfish and you want low pH, low alkalinity, low hardness water, what I recommend is first establish the tank with the water with high pH, high alkalinity, high hardness and get the bacteria going. Use our ammonium chloride, get a really good population going in the biofilter and then slowly start changing the water out with some RO or DI or, you know, the much softer, low pH water over time. You might see a little transient ammonia, but it should quickly get taken care of. And the reason I say establish it with the water quality for the bacteria first is that way you can get a big population of bacteria. In the lower, not lower, but in the the soft, low pH water, that's not going to kill the bacteria, but they're going to work much, much slower. So if you were to take two tanks, one with super soft, low pH, low alkalinity water, another with higher pH, good alkalinity, good hardness, and cycle them, you'll find that the one with the higher pH is going to cycle much faster and grow a much bigger population. The soft water tank, it's going to take you months and months because the bacteria are growing so much slower. It takes them much longer to get to the population that can handle the ammonia produced by your fish. So it's better to establish the bacteria in the water they like like, and then slowly change that water over the course of a couple of weeks to what your fish, what you think your fish are going to want, which is, you know, the lower pH, low alkalinity. And the back, you'll have a huge population of bacteria. They're just individually going to work less fast, but because you have so many of them, you should still have no problems with your ammonia nitrite with the proviso that you're not going to be able to put as many fish in there because the bacteria is just going to work much slower. There's just no doubt about it. So, you know, you just have to face that reality. Okay. All right. Question number eight. Ooh, this is a good one. A little bit different topic. I have some eco balance from March, 2019. It's been kept at room temperature. Is it still safe to use? I should add that there is no smell and it looks okay. What is your opinion on its lifespan and what is the best way to store it? 
Well, the best way to store the bacteria is this is not one and only all the other type of bacterial waste away, equal balance, clear up, refresh is to store them out of direct sunlight in a cool place. Uh, they don't have to be in the refrigerator. Generally don't recommend the refrigerator. Um, but just uh, someplace cool where, like I said, they're not getting a lot of light. And it's pretty easy to tell if they've gone bad. You open the bottle, and if you pass out from a hydrogen sulfide, the bacteria is bad. Um, if it's the, uh, you know, just really your nose is going to tell you. If it's stinky, then throw it away. Don't even, tr don't trust it. Just um, throw it away. For now, the one and only... If it's going to be a while, over a couple of months that you're going to use it, definitely you can put it in the refrigerator. And then what you should do is remove it from the refrigerator and let it warm up over the course of a day or two. Don't, you know, it's better to do that rather than take it from the refrigerator and just pour it into your tank and don't run it under hot water. And while in the refrigerator, make sure it's in an area where it won't freeze. Because if it freezes solid, chances are high that you've killed all the nitrifying bacteria. They don't like being frozen. I don't like being frozen either. <laughs> Which is why you lived in Nevada for seven years or something. Exactly. Okay. Question at number nine. And this has a few numbers with it, so I'll try and go slow. I might have to make notes here. Okay. See, I'm making sure you're prepared. Yes. Okay. I have stable levels of nitrite, five parts per million, and phosphate, 0. 0.05. Oh, nitrite? Yep. Nitrite. Okay. I removed a lot of algae in my tank and some of the sand as well. I did a 15% water change and tested two days after, and my nitrate tested 0. 0.5 on a Hannah checker my phosphate 0 0.006 using the phosphorus ultra from Hannah. They're near undetectable zero. Should I take action and dose some nitrate and phosphate or let some days pass and see how the levels turn out? Or should I start feeding more going forward? P.S. I do have some algae on the sand bed and the rock, but not that much to be visible ugly. I like that description, visible ugly. So the first number they gave was five nitrite. Yes. And the next one was nitrate. 0 0.5 nitrate. So, um, so the first one was five nitrite. And the second one was 0.5 nitrate. Yeah. I can pretty much guarantee you that they've got those reversed. Um, so if they did have them reversed. I mean, well, it, why do they have five nitrite? Does it say how old this tank is? It does not. Cause you should have no nitrite. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's old enough because it says if it has algae on the sand bed and the rock, but I don't know how old. 
Well, it's, well, let's let's again. Every question, I've got to make huge assumptions, but we can only do what we can do. Let's assume that's the stuff that the numbers are right. So they've got low, really low nitrate and and well, 0. 0.006 phosphate. I'm sorry, you can't measure that with that instrument. Not not three decimal places. So they got zero phosphate. So they're headed to the dinoflagellate zone here. With, with no nitrate and no phosphate, chances are pretty solid that you're going to eventually get dinoflagellates. Um, but where's the nitrite coming from? And that's coming from, again, we're assuming lots here, but they have some type of partial denitrification going on that is producing the nitrite, which is why they don't have any nitrate because the nitrate is going to back to nitrite and then stopping there because they don't have complete denitrification. And I'll say it again, this is an educated guess on my part. So to really clean this tank up, they've, they've got to clean up the substrate and we've already addressed in the first couple of questions how to do that. If it's a big tank, an old tank, um, I, if they stirred it up just a little, they're probably going to get a big black cloud. So I would say remove the fish and get rid of all this substrate and probably start over with new substrate. Because um, the, wa the water quality is, is pretty poor here and they're headed to dinos um, and the substrate is gone anoxic that's why there's no nitrate so there even if you added nitrate and phosphate to the system you're just going to help this thing partially denitrify and the nitrite that you see already at five is just going to build up because the water quality in the system is, is poor due to that gravel bed being a huge uh, anoxic zone. So did that answer their question, Helen? I think so, as best as if the information is correct. And, and, if, and if we goofed, please send us a message, give us some up-to-date information and uh, we'll give you a different answer. Right. I mean, if, if they, now let's assume the numbers are wrong uh, and you know, rever not wrong, but reversed and the nitrite is 0. Point, or yeah, 0. 0.5 and the nitrate is five. Still that's low nitrate and low phosphate and uh, I don't, I'm not sure I'd change the answer much. There may not be much denitrification going on, but there is some because that's where that nitrite's coming. In, in a functioning system that's been up for a while, that has a healthy biofilter, you should never be able, nitrite should always be zero. I think I've said it many times. That's kind of the canary in the coal mine. When your filter system starts to go south, when, when things are headed in the wrong direction, that's when nitrite is going to show up. And that's the indicator to take some corrective action. And usually when nitrite is showing up, 
your system has gone anaerobic, possibly anoxic, and that's you just don't want to have that in your system. Things are going to you know go from bad to worse, and so it's saying you got to clean up, you got to clean me. And if that's a deep substrate or a substrate that hasn't been siphoned, it doesn't even have to be deep. It can be, you know, less than two inches. But if you haven't cleaned it, organics build up over time. This is where your problem is. And I won't repeat the first two questions I answered on how to clean that up, but you're going to have to do something and and intervene or things are just going to get out of control. And and you're never going to get the algae solved until you get the biofilter working again. Yep. So got a little bit of work to do, but have patience. You'll get there. Okay, question number 10. What is the optimum reef tank pH range to enhance nitrification using waste away and ecobalance? I thought I read on your website that the pH should be penned somewhere between seven and eight. Is this correct for marine fish with soft and LPS corals? My pH usually bounces between 7.84 and 7.96 using the HANA checker. Okay, so your pH is fine. It's going to bounce around over over the course of a day. But the first part where you nitrification using waste away and refresh, refresh and waste away don't do nitrification or where there are commas there. And he meant like one and only refresh and waste away because all those are different bacteria. Nope. So... Just, just to make sure, waste away and refresh are heterotrophs. They're not nitrifiers. To a certain extent, pH affects them because pH affects everything, but pH does not affect them as much as pH affects nitrifiers. Nitrifiers prefer a pH, you know, 8 to 8.4, but they don't have to have that, and most equi- uh, saltwater systems, they're definitely going to, or the pH is definitely going to vary as the day progresses, especially during the light cycle, uh, because of your um, absorbing or not absorbing CO two into the water and CO two can increase co2 can depress the ph so don't don't worry about that and don't try to keep the ph stable at exactly you know 7.8 24 hours a day that's not good corals are are used to fluctuations in ph so your ph above 7.5 up into the eight is fine what you have to be paying attention to though especially if you have a tank full of corals is what's your calcium and magnesium. That's why you have calcium reactors and things like that. And um, make sure you have enough calcium magnesium in the water and your water is decently buffered because the buffers do get used over time. So you have to pay attention to those more than worrying about trying to control the pH. The pH is an indication of the biological processes that are going on in the aquarium. If your marine aquarium routinely has a pH below 7.5, 
then you aren't doing water changes. You've overloaded the system and your corals probably aren't doing very well. Uh, you basically need to clean the system and do big water changes and get the calcium, magnesium and alkalinity back up. Yep, like you said, the corals will let you know if you spend some time observing your tank on a regular basis, you're gonna know. Yeah, they're gonna look bad, they're gonna be closed up. Uh, they're gonna tell you that you, there's something wrong. You're, you're, you're not doing an, uh, enough animal husbandry keeping the system um, where you need. And in a lot of cases that could be one of two things, you know, neglect, cause you know, you're busy and things like that, or you've got too many animals in there and the biological processes are just, you know, that's, that's where it's too many animals that's depressed pH alkalinity. And that just tells you you've overstocked the tank. Yep. All right. Now I have a handful more questions, but I'm kind of keeping an eye on the time and I realize we're coming to the end of our episode. So I'm going to go with one last question that kind of goes along the same theme of nitrates and nitrites, and uh, I'll save the rest for our next episode. And All we'll right. get back on schedule next month. Yep. Okay. I am cycling my tank and my ammonia has dropped to 0.1. This, now this question, like I usually just copy and paste these directly from, now this originally said nitrate, I think they meant nitrite, so I'm gonna change it for them. <laughs> but the nitrite is still at four. Do I just wait till the nitrites drop to zero? Wait to do what? I assume they meant like wait to add fish. Well, hmm. um, if your nitrite is at four and you're doing a fishless cycling, you should wait until it gets below two before adding an, you know, one or two more drops of ammonia to the system. Don't, don't continue. Even though your, nit your ammonia is low, the bacteria aren't going to starve. They don't have to be fed ammonia every day or every other day. So let the nitrite drop to below two, and then you can add some more ammonia. Uh, now, if, if you've added the ammonia two or three times and the process is slowed, because Hillary, we don't know this is freshwater or saltwater, right? No, we don't know. Right, so if you're, PA, if, if, if you're doing a fishless cycling and in the first couple of times you added the ammonia, things were working really well. And then the third or fourth time things have slowed down and that's a freshwater tank, measure your pH. Cause we didn't get that data, but you know, the more than likely the alkalinity has been consumed. So the pH is dropped and the bacteria are not working very fast. The, the chemical reaction, I mean, I don't have a whiteboard or anything, but if you were to look at the chemical reaction of converting ammonium, ammonia, NH3 to, nit to nitrite and then nitrite to nitrate, there's three different chemical reactions. At each one of those, hydrogen ions are produced. Hydrogen is uh, uh, an acid. The, it has, and pH is 
measure of the hydrogen ion concentration. It's a negative number. So a pH of seven has more hydrogen ions than a pH of eight. The system is producing hydrogen ions, and that's why you need the alkalinity. The alkalinity is basically the Tums. It's count. It's an antacid. It's consuming those hydrogen ions. But once that alkalinity is consumed, the pH drops, and once the pH drops to seven or lower, the nitrifying process slows because the bacteria don't work as fast. And so if you have soft water, you're in Florida or the Pacific Northwest, and the water is, is great, but it's soft, that means it doesn't have much hardness. It doesn't, and it also probably doesn't, I know in the Pacific Northwest doesn't have much alkalinity. Adding the ammonia drops can cause that alkalinity and pH to drop during the cycling process, which means the ammonia starts to build up. So the fix, change water. Don't disturb the substrate. Don't change your filter pad where the nitrifiers are. Just take some water out of the column and replace it with new dechlorinated water and the nitrification process will kick right in. If this was a saltwater tank, well, the same thing. Maybe it was a small tank and you're overdosing the ammonia drops because you think the ammonia bacteria have to be fed every day. And again, once that alkalinity, it's kind of the common theme today, Hillary, alkalinity, pH, and the effect on ammonia, ammonium. So it's all connected. Um, it really is. Yeah. But uh, you know, you've got to monitor that. If the bacteria have been working and all of a sudden the ammonia is starting to build up, that tells you that your pH and alkalinity are too are low and the bacteria are working slower. If your system's been working and the nitrite is now building up, that tells you your system is overstocked and basically parts of it have probably gone anaerobic and you need to clean your tank. which you should always be cleaning your tank on a regular basis, even if it doesn't look like it. I know yeah. a lot of people that I've talked to in the past, they're like, oh no, it looks good. No, no. Test, you probably need to do a water change. And while we don't want in, in questions that are encyclopedias, it does help if you tell us whether it's fresh water or salt water and give us a little bit more detail. That way I don't have to make so many assumptions. And then my answers would be shorter. <laughs> we get more we get more questions in. How's that? We get more information. Yep. So. All right. That was my last question, but we will be doing another podcast relatively soon and uh, getting back on track. I don't think we have any topics for our next podcasts. So if there's a topic that you'd love to hear about, send us a message, let us know. Okay. And uh, we've got uh, Aquashella. We've got a uh, Magna coming up in a couple of months. Reef of Palooza, away. California. Reef of Palooza, California. Definitely uh, I'll be there. And uh, at the end of the month, because we, you know, we talk about a lot of saltwater shows, but if you're anywhere near Louisville, Kentucky, 
But the end of the month is an event that's never happened before. It's the American Cichlid Association, the American Live Bears Association, the American Killifish Association, and one other that just escapes my mind, I'll search for it, all coming together for a big four-day event. Look it up at uh, you know, just ACA convention. Um, freshwater fish geeks from around the world are going to convene on Louisville and probably, probably try to drink the place dry. That's what I've seen some are. of their flyers and stuff. It looks like there's going to be a lot of bourbon tasting going on. Hey, Louisville, why would that happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, well, a couple of hotels are already sold out. Um, there are um, some nice field trips. That's probably where you're getting that bourbon from. And um, they may be sold out, but there's still things going on and there'll be lots of fish and speakers. I am speaking Friday. Um but it's really a cool, fun event. And uh, it's, so it's the American Cichlid Association, the American Killifish Association, the American Live Bear Association, and the Rainbow Group, along with the North American Australian New Guinea Fishes Association. What is that? <laughs> rainbow fish, Australian rainbows. Oh. It's fish from Australia and New Guinea, which are absolutely gorgeous gorgeous fish and fun and reds and yellows and purples and lively action so um you can check that out at cichlid or convention.cichlid.org and uh, 11 different talks from all sorts of uh people from around the world it's going to be a lot of fun oh and there's bourbon tasting did you, did you mention that <laughs> no <laughs> no and there's actually that's not sold out the buffalo trace distillery tour you know i've got to say i've been on that tour before and i was never a buffalo trace fan until i went on the tour i was like oh this is really cool it's very fascinating yeah so and it's the uh, the aca's 50th anniversary we've been doing these conventions for 50 well i haven't been doing these conventions for 50 years i'm not that old um but anyways um Check it out and uh, stop by, say hi, you know, and uh, that's at the end of the month in Louisville, Kentucky. Sounds like a fun time. That's where I grew up, so I know it'll be fun. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks again. So this has been Dr. Tim and Hillary with another version of the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Thank you very much for listening.